In my hand right now, I have a CD. Remember CDs? I need to make a whole lot of copies of this CD because I've got to hand them out to everybody. Everybody's going to get a CD. Want to know what it is? This CD contains Windows 98. And I want to hand this out to everybody because I think it's a really good idea if we go back to using Windows 98. Remember how simple things were with Windows 98? It was a good operating system. It worked really well for a long time. Had that little hourglass feature when you were waiting for things to load. Don't you miss the hourglass feature? You can bring it back. You can actually... On the latest versions of Windows, you can use that. But I think we need to hand this out to everybody, and you need to take it home, and you need to uninstall the operating system that you have on any computer, and you need to use Windows 98, because that's a safe operating system. I don't have a CD in my hand. I don't want you to install Windows 98. But isn't going back to the 1998 version of the sex ed curriculum the exact same thing as me trying to give you a copy of Windows 98? If you take that home and you try and install it on some laptops, you'll find out very quickly you don't have a CD drive. The world has changed. And you know what? I can honor the Doug Ford government for keeping a promise. They said they would get rid of the current sex ed curriculum that was brought in by the liberal government. Okay, I can honor that you have kept that promise. But let's have this, at most, a one-year thing. Because seriously, you cannot go back to something that was set in 1998, something as serious as sex ed, and believe that you are doing anybody any good. Because you're not. You're not doing anyone any good. You're not teaching kids. Oh, but wait, what about the protesters? The protesters that didn't want same-sex marriage taught in school. The protesters that didn't want gender identity taught in school. People who were afraid of the word masturbation. What about them? Well, they win right now. But I don't think it's a win for any of the students. I think it's a big loss for students. Let's open up the phones on this. This has happened, and it was a promise, so it's easy to understand how this has happened. But the idea to scrap the sex ed curriculum, to go back to something who, or that had early roots in 1996, I mean, we'd had public access to the Internet for a year in 1996 when they started putting this together. That's unacceptable. That's not dealing with the world that you live in. 519-643-2222. If you want to weigh in on this, you can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca and you can tweet at Stubbs980. Because here's the issue. Everybody likes to believe that things are going to be different for their kids or that somehow things are different for their kids. First of all, They aren't. In fact, they're just more complicated for their kids. That's what they are. So 
if you go back and you think, yeah, we're, we're just going to set things the way they were, you're actually hurting the students. You really are. I am living through life with two teenagers right now, and they're making it pretty easy on us. But if we wanted to sit back and pretend that sex, drugs, and it's not rock and roll anymore, but sex, drugs, and a little R&B slash rap slash indie rock was not the way the world worked, well, we'd be fooling ourselves. You can't do that. 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at stubs980. You like this move, going back to 1998 with the sex ed curriculum? Marilyn, what do you think? Are, are you okay with this? Um, well, I think that sex should be taught as simple and straightforward as possible. Well, it's I agree with you. Only, only that, science. Yeah, but it, that element, sure. Hey, I agree with you. But now we've got so many different things. When you look at what social media has done, it won't even be touched. Social media well, will not even be talked about. And I think that's dangerous. Well, it is. It is dangerous, dear. And I'll tell you something. Uh, the average eight-year-old today knows more about sex than I knew at 18. Now, do you think that's a good thing or do you think that's a bad thing? I think it's a bad thing. Okay. That I didn't know. Okay. That I didn't know at 18 what was going on. And what I learned was through two story confession magazines and uh, the playground. See, and I would much rather my kids, my grandkids, any of their friends or acquaintances were not taught by a magazine and certainly didn't learn anything on the playground. Well, that's the way it was done back then, dear. You've got to remember that I grew up in the 40s and 50s. Hey, it was no different when I was on the playground in the 70s and 80s either. No. Well, uh, anyways, uh, uh, well, I didn't even know my wedding night. Would you believe that? Well, hey, but that's, that's why this conversation is so important. Marilyn, thank you for leading it off. Thank you, dear. Have, Have a great day. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Alan, you in favor of this, or does it disturb you? Uh, this is disturbing. There definitely should have been something to replace. I mean, if you want to tweak it, that's fine, but not just revert back to 1998. That is insane. We're and, in a totally different world now, and quite honestly, Mike, ignorance is the greatest friend of your local pedophile. Isn't it? Yeah. It's the greatest friend of a lot of different things. It absolutely is, yeah. So, I mean, you've got the dark web, you, you have the playground, which is probably even more innocent than the web. People, our kids, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, have access to things that we do not want them to be exposed to. I would rather them be taught um, legitimately. And I understand that there are parents out there that feel uncomfortable about, you know, giving or t- having the birds and bees talk. That's fine. But ignorance is not give doing them any service. You know, no sex ed is... Uh, it's leaving kids big time vulnerable, and it needs to be changed right away. I hope that we do see changes. Like I said, hey, I'll give the Doug Ford government, I'll give them a year. I'll give them a, hey, we needed to appease people who wanted to see this. We promised it. We're doing it. He's been doing that with a lot of campaign promises that were made, or just I, people will still argue whether or not he he had a platform during his campaign. But promises, yes, and so I'll, I'll give that to him. But you're right. We can't leave it the way it is. Alan, thanks so much for the call. 519-643-2222. Rob. Hey, Rob. 
Hey, hey, how's it going? Pretty good, thanks. Uh, I'd say I'm fully supportive of what Doug Ford is doing. Obviously, Kathleen Wynne had a a very serious agenda that she was ramming down the throats of everyone. And I'm just happy for him to say, no, that's not our plan. Okay, well, that's that's the Rob, that's great. That's the political side of things. But to use the old line, think of the children. What does this do for the kids in your mind? Oh, it's wonderful for the kids. Why? I, I have four kids. You're, they're ignoring I, I, the Internet. This, this sex ed curriculum ignores the Internet. Well, no, I'm, I'm a parent, and we parent our children, and we look after uh, those matters. I don't need the state to teach my kid what is right, what is wrong, what is this, what is that. We can do that, and I'm sorry that you know we have so many parents that aren't willing to do that, but... Sorry, I, d- I don't agree with Kathleen Wynne's agenda, and I'm very glad that he- he's appealed it. And, you know, I can I morally disagree with Kathleen Wynne's agenda, and I'm very glad that he's saying we don't want it because I don't want it. Rob, you sound incredibly level-headed. I am sure you're a fantastic parent. It is great that you have four children, but you just said it. What about the kids who don't have you as a dad? What do we do for them? They're back to learning on the playground, well, it's, or it's, worse, it's, learning online. I, I guess that we have a different. I mean, we have a different worldview. I, I believe. I mean, you're, you're looking at a kind of a government nanny state where we have to take care of every person and every issue, and we have to cater to every like the lowest degree. That's where we're going to cater. So if if twenty percent of the parents don't teach their children properly, what we're going to do is we're going to cater to them and we're going to leave out the other. And, and obviously, I, I don't know the number. But but to me, that's the that's the absolute wrong way to lead a society. I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in Christian morals and Christian values based on the Bible. So obviously, I fundamentally disagree with Kathleen Wynne's agenda. So I'm, I'm just very happy that uh, that there isn't, and I, I know I'll get made fun of, you know, for the next forty minutes because because of that. Because you know what, Rob? Though I won't let that happen. I will not let you be made fun of for your own morals and beliefs. That's not well, right. Well, but we but we know in the day in which we live that you know you make fun of anything or anyone, it's wrong, it's morally wrong. But you can you can put down Christianity, and you know it's very fashionable to do. And and you know we have a we have so many people in our government uh, at every level that does that. And I guess they're just being who they are, but we know that, that, that this is how it is. And and I'm just glad that he's doing that. I'm glad you called. Thank you. Thanks. We want to present as many sides as possible. Now I'm somebody who believes this stuff should be taught because I'm somebody who believes in open discussion of things. I love open discussion of things. That's why talk radio is so fantastic. Because it should be, I hope it is, an open discussion of things. And right now we're talking about the sex ed curriculum and Doug Ford's government keeping a campaign promise, which I can honor, which I can understand. But it concerns me because as I started out the show, just in case you're joining us now, it's a lot like me handing you, this is in my opinion, a CD with Windows 98 and telling you to go home and install that on your computer to replace what you have now. It does not account for what kids deal with today. And Rob's right. 
He can sit at home and he can teach his kids. That's what a good parent does. But, hey, call it a nanny state or whatever, we look after people. Social assistance wouldn't be a thing. We have that. You have to look out for people. Some people are caught in a chain that will not break, and it leads generation after generation into some difficult times, and it just doesn't break the cycle along the way. Things like this can help, in my mind. What about you? What do you think? 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Back to the phones we go with Ron. Ron, what do you think about this? Hey, Mike, when I was younger and I still had some eyesight, sometimes we would get a hold of maybe a Playboy or a penthouse. We saw it, and it was no big deal. But you know what? When I was younger, I also didn't have older siblings, or um, since I came from a single-parent household, I didn't have a lot of people I could go to. Now that the um, Internet exists, I definitely would not have any, literally, if I was 12, 13, 14 18 years old now, I would literally have nobody to go to. Sexting exists. I would not be able to know how to handle it. I signed up for a couple of um, dating sites, legitimate dating sites, okay? I signed up for a couple of dating sites, and it's amazing how once you sign up for, like, a dating site, now you get all kinds of uh, personal email sent to you. Sure. And, and a lot of it is disgusting. It's totally disgusting. And what if you were somebody who was, like you say, younger, who hadn't, hadn't had the chance to talk about it? And you outline a perfect scenario, Ron. You know, I, I, it, it's hard because I never had anybody to talk to in the first place. Even when I was a child, I didn't have anybody to talk to. I always had adults say, oh, yeah, you can always come talk to us. But I couldn't because I was with a single mother. So what I learned was, you know, teenage boys, 12, 13, 14, 18 years old, looking at Playboy, and that was it. That's mm-hmm. all we had. Yeah. We had no one to turn to. And you're not alone. That's exactly the way that a lot of people did learn back in the 70s, the 80s, Maryland pointed 40s, 50s. We'll throw the 60s in there because that was your exposure to it because it wasn't talked yeah. about, or it was the birds and the bees. They made a song about it, and it, it beat around the bush, but it never actually looked at why the bush was growing. Yeah, but you know, to have the Kathleen win... Uh, sex education, that's gone a little too far, but you can't go to Doug Ford either. You've got to have something a little more liberal, because because I wouldn't be able... I don't have a cell phone. I choose not to, because I wouldn't be able to see it now, because I've lost the rest of my eyesight, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I if I had the eyesight, and if I had a cell phone now, there's no hell way I'd be able to understand sexting. I, I wouldn't. It's an odd thing. I can't say yeah. I've ever participated, and, and right now I'm I'm a guy with my eyesight. And, so and now so many so many um you know there's so many fine lines in between that stuff too, because you've got um you know guys looking at younger girls, or sometimes you've got people going to the deep net. Lord forbid, heaven forbid, if you ever go there, people. <sighs> You know, pedophilia, it's sick, man. It Mm -hmm. it really is. It is. Ron, thanks for calling. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
519-643-2222. One more call before we take a break. Richard, that belongs to you. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? I'm fascinated to know your thoughts on this. Well, I'm not an expert right on this particular subject, but I do have my own views. And it is true, Mike, when you and I write, we're growing up right it was a totally different world back then, right? That was basically the summer of love, 69, and oh, we can go on and on with it. But anyways, right, all we had back then to worry about when it came to venereal diseases is VD, gonorrhea, and stuff like that. We didn't have to worry, right, about a death sentence. But in 1980, when the first reported case of HIV came to Canada, then we knew it was a totally different world. As for the sex ed curriculum, right, I... I don't agree with Premier Doug Ford on this particular one, not entirely, and I certainly don't agree with Tanya Granick allen entirely. They wanted to see the sex ed curriculum, right? They wanted to see it totally repealed, right? I like the position that Christine Elliott Flaherty took on it, right, during the leadership race, right? She said what she would do is she would modify it and she would make it age-appropriate, and that's all I'm asking for. And on the subject of same-sex marriage, I do not believe, right, that that should be taught in the schools. That can be taught at home, right, by families if they wish to discuss that, because same-sex marriage, right, is not a health issue. If they're in a monogamous relationship between each other, there is no health issues there at all. So when it comes to ideology, right, and doctrine and beliefs like that, I believe, right, that's best, best left to the parents or the guardians. But when it comes to other stuff like anal and all that other, that's getting into health issues, right, that definitely should be taught in school. But like Christine Elliott Flaherty said, we should modify it, she said, but not repeal it, and it should be age-appropriate. And on that note, Mike, I'll let the experts call in. You have a good afternoon. Thanks, Richard. We'll take a break. More on this in just a moment. Doug Ford said he would do it. He has done it. You have to honor that. Is it the right thing to scrap the sex ed curriculum? I'm hoping this is just a a this year thing. Because I don't think it's the right thing. What do you think? 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. Or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980cfpl. They're going back. That usually means back to school. Well, that's not what it means today. It means they're going back to the old sex ed curriculum. This is a good idea? 519-643-2222. Out of town, 1-866-354-8255. Back to the phones. Margaret. Margaret, what do you think? I'm absolutely furious that he did this. I think that he did this just to uh, pander to a bunch of bigots. Well, I mean, he vowed to do it. He promised to do it. He did it. And that's where I'll, that's where I will, from a political standpoint, say, okay, I get that. Now, what are we doing for the students? Well, the thing is, is that I have a teenage daughter. And I was uh, given sex ed, too. This was in the early 90s for my time. And I was taught all sorts of, uh, like, the pros and cons of various birth control methods and a lot of information that, even if I want to teach my daughter this, it's outdated now. Mm-hmm. And as far as uh, teaching about safe-sex relationships and gender identity, uh, the LGBT teens nowadays, they face all sorts of issues, all like sky-high suicide rates, the whole nine yards. We should address that. Margaret, I'm with you. I, I really am, because you just raised a lot of issues that are not covered because the world was a different place when they were putting the curriculum together that is essentially the 1998 curriculum. Margaret, thanks so much for the call. One more call before we get to news with Jacqueline LaBelle. Ryan, that belongs to you. 
Hey, how you doing? Pretty good, thanks. Good. Uh, honestly, I, I, I'm much like others. I'm not a fan that he kind of got rid of the sex ed curriculum. I think it's incredibly important. My son just turned 12. We gave him some books that are on it. I even learned some things in them, but they're, the information, like, it's some people, people are too scared, and they think, oh, kids, you know, they shouldn't learn these things, but he's heard things on the schoolyard that even still with the current curriculum, we're not taught and we're past it. And then these books we gave him in conversations that we had, you know, helped kind of clarify things because they honestly scared him because he was learning about things that he, that were really upsetting because he's like, well, I don't want to do that. And it's, you know, but it opens the door to have the conversation like you don't have to, but these things are out there and information is power. Yeah, that's, that's it. And there are a lot of situations and I'll, 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 I'll outline a couple after the news that that do exist, and you would think, nah, that doesn't happen. I'll outline a couple, and they do exist, and you have to be as ready as possible. And that's why going back to something 20 years ago, in my mind, it's not getting that done. Ryan, thanks so much for the call. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. Then more on this. If you are on hold, please stay there. We'll get to your call. You can email me, mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980cfpl. The sex ed curriculum is being scrapped. The one that some people were uneasy about, the one that some people were in favor of under the Kathleen Wynn liberals. Doug Ford had said, If he's elected, this is what he's going to do. He did it. That's the political side. We are examining kind of as many sides as you want to. Certainly the political side, but it's pretty cut and dried. And right now they're going back to a curriculum that, from what I can tell in my own research, was begun in 1996, at least putting it together was begun in 1996. Remember, the Internet became a public thing late 94, 95 So around 1996, they started working on this. It was essentially put in place in 1998. You may hear it called the 2015 curriculum. Not really. The entire thing was kind of put together in 1998. So that's what we're going back to. Andy has tweeted, I have to agree the Wynn government did a lot of bad things. This wasn't one of them. You can say that it went too far. You can say that it shouldn't have been put in place. But that's that's irrelevant in my mind. The most important thing is, what do we do to teach sex ed properly? Because this is a really different world from 1996 and 1998. And even if this was a curriculum that had been put in place in 2015, it's a different world from 2015. So what do we do now? You can't just say, yeah, it's turned back. Okay, on to the next thing. How do we do it? Wait a minute. This is important. Stop. What are we going to do with this? And hopefully we get some answers to that in the next little while. Right now, we are taking your thoughts. 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Back to the phones with Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Oh, hi, Mike. Um, I just wanted to say... um I think it's, uh, I went to school back in the time of that curriculum, I think, and uh, it wasn't too bad, and I'm not saying that it has everything that it needs to have today, but as far as the um, the internet issue, we now have parents that have grown up with the internet, and we know more than our parents did that we absolutely have to talk to our kids about what's going on with the internet and to what they do can do on the internet. That's a big difference than when I was a child. Our parents didn't have the internet growing up. 
Absolutely. And you know what? As your kids get older, it's a fine line because they need to, and I believe this, you can tell me I'm wrong, they need to have their own privacy on the internet, but you still have to be able to somehow monitor what they're doing in case things should go in a direction that they shouldn't. I agree. And um, also, I just think it was really age-inappropriate, the last curriculum that the Kathleen Wynn put out. Uh, they definitely, I think when you tell things like that to kids at such a young age, it confuses them. And kids will just try something because they heard of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I'm not uh, saying it was ideal. I'm not saying it was it was age-appropriate. It was one of those things that went, you know, really, really far into all the areas you could go into. And, and they did it at a young age. So I'm not saying that was the perfect thing. I'm not defending it, but I'm saying that this is missing the mark if we're just going to turn back the clock and go, okay, done, on to something else. And I agree, and I... I hope they actually do change what they're doing right now. But I also just don't think Doug Ford's going to throw $2 million at it for someone to write a new curriculum right away, as if the liberals would have done her even more. You know what I mean? Not the way that he's trying to save bucks so he can do other things, that's for sure. So, yeah, thank you anyways for taking my call. Okay, thanks for the call. 519-643-2222. Dan. Hey, Hey, Dan. How are you? Why don't you talk to the guy that spearheaded the campaign to get rid of this? The original guy that wanted to get rid of this was Monty McNaughton four years ago. He was on your radio station with Craig Needles, and he was on in the afternoon with Andrew Lawton. Why, well, even went up to Sarnia, the CHOK, to talk about it on that radio station. He's the man that wanted to get rid of this sex ed curriculum. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know anything about it because my kids are grown adults. And if it's uh, considered to be inappropriate to a lot of people, then why don't you check it out with him? All right. Well, you know what? We've got a lot of calls out, and certainly this is something that's going to be explored on this show. It'll be explored on the Craig Needle Show tomorrow. he's the guy that brought it up. He's the one that lobbied to get rid of it. He's the man. If he'll talk to us, we'll talk to him. Thanks so much for the call, Dan. Appreciate that. 519-643-2222. Ron. Hey, Ron. Hi. Okay, first of all, I was listening to the show. Um, I don't believe that uh, Ford should have made that decision at all. I I think there are two sets of people. People who um, would rather stick their head in the sand and pretend that what's going on is not actually going on. And there are people who are realistic enough to realize that kids today need to have this type of information in order for them to be successful. I think that's really where, where things should be at. Yeah, and and you you divide it up very well right there because those are the two sets that exist. And if we go back to the call we had with Rob, the idea that parents should be able to teach their kids what they want their kids to know. I'm all for that. Parents should be involved in this. Eventually, your kids are going to get out of your nest, and you know you've you've got to make sure that they're ready for what the world brings them. That's the job of a parent. But in this case. I don't know how much we watch out for the people with the head in the sand. How much do you think we need to watch out for them? Because as Rob said, hey, stop appealing to the lowest common denominator. Do what is right here. What do you think? Well, well, first of all, I, I don't think that, I mean, if you're teaching a child what you need to ch- teach a child around a sex education and so forth, I don't think that's that so opposed to what's been taught in the schools. I mean, really, even if you're a Christian per se, you need to recognize that, yeah, your child, your child is still exposed to uh, situations at school and in the playground 
that they can get additional information from sex education. It's not really saying that, you know, I, I think one of the things is that people believe that, for instance, if you teach um, sex education, you talk about, let's say, homosexuality or lesbianism or what have you, that your child is going to become a homosexual or a lesbian. And that, that's just ridiculous. I mean, it's, it, it, it doesn't happen that way. Your child has to have um, whether or not it's the genes or predisposed to it or what have you. Um, and I think there is a lot of fear-mongering going around sex education. And I think that's really, really sad because uh, the people who wrote the program didn't intend it to be as such. I mean, nobody is trying to make anybody anything. We're just trying to put out information to help your child have a better chance at success. Ron, couldn't agree more with your last statements. Thanks so much for that. Okay. Take care. Take care. Got a great email from Al. I want to get to on and address some of Ron's thoughts as well. Got to take a quick break. If you are on hold, please stay on hold. We'll get to you. We continue to talk about the sex ed curriculum going back. And no hint at this point. Now it's early. I mean, this story broke 20 minutes before London Live began. So things are still evolving. We will get reaction from people in the hours and days to come. But there are some things that have already been addressed in this conversation that are really important. I want to get to that email from Al in just a moment. Again, if you're on hold, please stay there. We'll get to you next. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If you are a parent or a teacher, there are a lot of things you can be. One of the things you can't be is afraid. I firmly believe that. You can be a lot of things, but you cannot in the face of somebody younger, you cannot be afraid. You can show them that fear exists. You can be honest with them, but you can't be afraid to do something, to say something, to talk about something. That kind of fear. This is not, hey, somebody with a hatchet is knocking at my door, and you've got to say, oh, we can't be afraid. It's not like that. But you can't be afraid to listen to them, to start a conversation with them. That kind of fear. It can't exist because they're relying on us. Ron pointed it out earlier this hour. He felt as a younger person, he didn't have people to go to. Can't be afraid to have a conversation. And I think that that is an issue that exists if you are somebody who's in favor of going back to 1998 and staying there with the sex ed curriculum because kids are missing too much. I got teenagers in my house. I can assure you. That curriculum does not know a thing about what they're involved in now. And my kids make it easy on me. I can't imagine kids that don't. 519-643-2222. Sean, your thoughts on this? Hi, Mike. Well, uh, first of all, good afternoon. Hope you're uh, enjoying the July weather. I am. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, hey, I've got 20 teenagers in my hockey dressing room, too. You're absolutely right. The curriculum from 1998 doesn't address half of what kids today are exposed to out in the real world. And here's what it really boils down to, Mike, is what your kid doesn't know can hurt someone else's kid. And that's why we can't go back to this 1998 curriculum. We need to be teaching a modern curriculum. This curriculum, this idea that this curriculum was developed without the input of parents is just nonsense. Every home and school association in the province was involved in providing input on this. Uh, you know, we simply have 
some folks who are spreading misinformation. Uh, parents were involved. Experts were involved. And the information that's contained in there, if you actually take a look through, you don't even have to read the entire curriculum. Read the summary. The information that's being taught to kids in this new curriculum is age-appropriate at each grade level. So this, this is a huge step backwards. You know, as, as a gay Londoner, I'm profoundly concerned about what it means for our LGBT because we're going to be isolating them once again. Like you were saying about your caller, Ron, uh, that was my experience growing up too. And we're just putting other kids through that experience. We've, we've got to keep the new curriculum. And we have to remember, I mean, if you want to think about individuals who decide to identify as a different gender, this is not happening at 18 or 25 or 30. You have people who are at 12 years old, 11 years old, 10 years old. They know at five years old, perhaps, that, hey, you know what? Here's how I feel. And we've got to be able to address that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I knew at 13, 14 years old, that uh, I was different from other people. And people are, particularly, I mean, kids are hitting puberty at a younger age. That questioning, that uh, self-exploration of who they are starts to take place sooner and sooner. And I mean, for heaven's sake, what they get on social media today alone should be caused to keep the new curriculum Nothing in the 1998 curriculum addresses online safety, addresses issues like sexting, um, you know, sending inappropriate pictures uh, back and forth between your friends. None of that's addressed there. And that's stuff that can get kids in serious, well, frankly, in criminal trouble. Yeah, you bet. You want to talk about child pornography charges? How many people would know that just because your girlfriend, who is 15 years old, sent you a picture, you have something like that on your phone? Yeah. But it's I true. Mean, when you're talking about child pornography, some of the child pornography charges are being laid against teenagers sharing inappropriate images of themselves with, uh, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, we have to teach kids age-appropriate information, absolutely. And, you know, for those parents who say, well, I want to have a role, then have a role. Supplement what they're learning at school with further discussion at home, but don't take away the discussion at school. Sean, thank you. Always a pleasure, Mike. We've had some great calls today, and that was another one. Ron, I want to tell you, Ron, who we talked to right before the last break, I've had two emails come in, one from Alan saying, three cheers to Ron, fantastic call. Another one that came in from Dave, and Dave says, Ron has it right on the money. So, Ron, you're already getting a whole lot of kudos for the things that you said. And I want to get to an email right now that comes from Alan. Alan says, last year in grade one, my daughter learned that she has personal space and that everyone has personal space, that she has the right not to have that space disrespected and that she needs to respect others' personal space. They talked about rough play. They talked about reading body language and how to assert yourself to express that you need your personal space. This will translate to a much more important theme, consent. Later in life, my daughter will know that no one can touch her or impose themselves on her, that no means no. My daughter has two parents that discuss sex and sexuality in age-appropriate ways. There are children who have parents that don't. These tools, these lessons need to be taught. My friend has a preteen who thought it was okay to send nude pics of herself to an alleged boy via Snapchat. The boy turned out to be a man in his 30s. 
Sex ed is critical, and a modern version of it is a must. Al, thanks for taking the time to write that. Sean said it. You don't have to be comfortable with the things in the sex ed curriculum that you feel are being taught. But whether it's math class, whether it's history class, whether it's sex ed, as a parent, you do have to supplement that learning. It only helps. It's not taking away from what teachers are doing. It is just helping your child to grasp concepts. And there are a lot of crazy concepts to grasp. And a lot of them do come in different ways now. Ways that we don't even understand. Ways that we have trouble grasping. You know, it, the schoolyard is the schoolyard. There is still a pecking order. There will always be a pecking order. Those things exist. Bullying, you know, I have to commend the people who started upstander movements and brought bullying into an area of discussion. Is it gone? No. Will it ever be? Probably not. Are things better? For some kids, I believe they are. At least there are places you can go. At least there are ways to discuss this stuff. You know, one of the things that I didn't get to mention was the idea of five guys, five girls, and every Friday night, they rotate. And they go off into bedrooms and they do whatever. Or ask somebody in their teens about, I think, what is it, a, a popsicle? Or it's a lollipop? or so, Ask them about I'm not even going to get into what it is. But... It's there. They need to know at least that they can go to talk to somebody, whether it is a parent, whether it is something that they learn in class. Now, when you look at at how this sex ed curriculum was outlined, I'm so glad that Sean brought this up. This was not something that was just three people in a room going, and on Thursday we'll teach about the birds, and on Friday we'll teach about the bees. That's not what they were doing. They took input from so many different places. And kids are a lot more open now than we've ever been. And that kind of thing is healthy, but it also comes with a challenge. It comes with the fact that they're not afraid to have discussion. We can't be either. We'll let you know what's coming up after 2 o'clock. Thank you for this discussion. It'll come up again. It'll probably come up again tomorrow. And we will get some expert feedback on it. And we will get some insight into what is taking place. We've got calls out right now, and who knows who will get to comment on this. You'll hear it on the Craig Needle Show between 9 and noon, and you'll hear it right here as well. This is London Live between 1 and 3 on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, the perfect storm in sports is happening all of a sudden. Things are coming at us from all different directions. If you don't want to know the score in the World Cup of Soccer semifinal between England and Croatia, that's about seven seconds in. All right, it's a little further along than that, then fingers in your ears, la 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 la, are you ready? England just scored an absolute wild beginning. England has not been to a World Cup final since 1966. This was in, I believe they'll, they'll rack it up as being in the sixth minute. So right away, England won, Croatia nil, Croatia has never been to a final. 
And there is a big-time Croatian community in this area. There is a big-time English community in this area. Croatia is telling themselves there's still a lot of time left. England is saying, wow, can you believe the way that this one's going? So England's up. Then, earlier today, I don't know if you saw, who is the best grass court tennis player on the men's side? That would be Roger Federer. The guy doesn't lose. He lost. He lost in the quarterfinals. And he lost to a guy with really not a lot of fanfare in the tennis world at this point. Kevin Anderson. Now, he's number eight in the ATP rankings, but if you say Kevin Anderson, people are saying, doesn't he play for the the Memphis Grizzlies in the NBA? No. There's no Kevin Anderson on the Memphis Grizzlies Grizzlies either. Uh, But, yeah, he beat Roger Federer in a crazy fifth set that went all the way to 13-11 before Anderson finally won it. Rafael Nadal is losing at Wimbledon at the moment. Novak Djokovic is through. And Milos Raonic is in the second tiebreak in his match against John Isner. It was Raonic who won the first one. Isner's up 5-4 right now. So that gets you up to date in tennis. And congratulations to Londoner and former London Knight Brett Wilichka, because he has just signed a brand new contract to play in the American Hockey League with the Rockford Icehogs. So congratulations to him. We talked earlier this week about recycling. I was having some issues throwing out not a recycle bin, but a bin that looked like a recycling bin. Sometimes we would put, you know, excess cans and bottles or excess cardboard in it, and we'd use it as a recycle bin. And it just wore out. I don't know why, but it did. I don't know if our grass is acidic, not sure, but the bottom, done. And I tried to get rid of it, and we'd gone two weeks, and it hadn't worked out. And an email from Sean said he once went six weeks, and we got a call from Harold saying, well, maybe it's the kind of plastic. Maybe you can't recycle that particular plastic. Well, it was time to find out exactly what might be going on and get some tips for anybody who wants to throw out large plastic things. Rose had... uh, a laundry basket that she was having trouble getting rid of. Joining us right now is the man who heads up waste in the city of London, Jay Stanford. Jay, thanks so much for being here. Hey, good morning. Actually, good afternoon there, Mike. It is, but you know what? That's how hard you work. I mean, the, the morning's <laughs> flown by. It's it's two hours and nine minutes after. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> well, let's look at recycling plastic, because we like to think everything in our world is recyclable. I finish up with this paper. I put it in the recycling bin. I finish up with this glass jar. In it goes. Is plastics an area where we maybe need some understanding? Oh, absolutely. In fact, the, the items you described, um, yeah, I, I scratch my head as well, Mike. But when you think of the blue box, or if you live in an apartment building, the blue cart, the first thing you got to say is, is it a plastic packaging material? And by that, I mean, is it a bottle that was used for water or soda? Was it a bottle, plastic bottle that was used for detergent? That's the key part, because the Blue Box program is all about recycling packaging materials. And why is that? Well, it's because industry pays half the cost. Okay. And that's what they want in the Blue Box. So, in other words, you could put something else in there, but industry's not paying the cost on that, so it's not going to be accepted? That's right. In fact, we don't want in the Blue Box because it'll be rejected. And, and that's really the challenge. So items like what well, you mentioned there, the, the laundry basket, of course, the, many of them are made out of plastic. There's toys, there's plastic plates, there's plastic crates. 
heck, there's plastic shovels, right? Those are items that, unfortunately, they cannot go into our recycling program. And I'm and right now in London, I'm not aware of any locations where they could even be dropped off. As keen as people are to recycle, we just are not able to help them right now. And that's so weird for us to think of that, hey, I have a plastic thing. All plastics are recyclable, but it still might have to find its way into the landfill if it's all busted up. Well, that's right. And unfortunately, you know, and for any of your listeners there that are chemists, they will tell you firsthand that plastics are not all the same. And that is one of the challenges. The goal of a lot of plastics recycling is to take similar resins, and that's why you've got numbers on the bottom, and they get recycled together. When you get into some of these odd items like a laundry basket or a plastic shovel, they are made out of uh, very rigid and often composite materials uh, or a carbonate-type plastic item that just can't be recycled with the others. And that's really, it almost sounds like Sesame Street, but that's what it gets down to is you can't do some of these things together. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doing its own thing. And then if if we're to keep that rule of thumb, I guess, you're looking at packaging or things that hold other things, containers. That's right. That's right. And if you look at the bottom, and sometimes you do need a magnifying glass, there will be a number on almost all your packaging materials, and they range between number one and number seven. And most plastic, fortunately, have the number one or number two on it, and those ones have very strong end markets for recycling, and most of that is done right here in Ontario. And then when it comes to uh, numbers three through seven, we're also recycling those in Ontario, and we refer to that as a mixed plastic. And all that matters because... The processing centers take those materials, they wash them, they turn them into flakes or pellets, and they create, of course, new products and put them back in the marketplace. Jay Stanford with us, Director of Environmental Programs and Solid Waste at the City of London, as we look at why sometimes plastic is rejected. So that says it right there. Jay, while we've got you, Green Bin is still on that tip of the tongue of everybody in this city. I know you were talking with Craig Needles about it last week. Anything more that we need to know about the Green Bin program? Well, absolutely, uh, Mike. Uh, today we just posted on the city's website our committee reports for next week for the Civic Works Committee, and there we have what's called the 60% Waste Diversion Action Plan, and it lays out how we're going to move this city from our current 45% diversion rate right now, keeping materials out of landfill, and how we're going to achieve 60% diversion uh, by about 2022, so about four years from now. And our recommendation is that the green bin will have to be part of that program. We're also recommending, though, that another program that deals with organics, referred to as mixed waste processing, continues to be part of a pilot project as we move forward. So there's a lot of good stuff that was just posted today, Mike. Okay, well, we can check that out at london.ca. In terms of either of those programs, the pilot program does deal with a green bin, does it not? Oh, yes, no, no. Now, citywide, we are proposing a green bin program. So that is for everyone who has curbside service. The pilot program would be for those living in multi-residential buildings because they, of course, generate waste and their waste contains organic as well. So we're looking at two systems to move forward in the city, all outlined, and we're looking at uh, very strong diversion estimates coming from those programs based on current experience. And Mike, uh, from a a price perspective, and that's, of course, going to be a very, very important part of the upcoming discussion, all-in 
for our waste diversion system to hit 60%. We are looking at about in the order of $6.5 million a year, which comes out to somewhere around $36 a household. And is that $6.5 million a year on top of what is already spent on waste diversion? That's correct. That's okay. correct. But you say it, it's how much a household? About, about $36 a household. Okay. So we're, ta- we're, we're talking big dollars here. It is a big investment. And that's why, of course, there'll be big discussion at Civic Works Committee, at Council. And we're also recommending that after uh, basically two years of work, we go back out to the community and say, here's what we have in mind. What do you think? So if you were to look at a time frame for things to play out from the inception where it's discussed next week to when we see green bins, what's the estimate? Uh, Green bins would be uh, in place. It takes a while, about 2021. So that, of course, is the biggest component moving forward. But over the next three to four years, there'll be increased recycling. There'll be a look at avoiding food waste perhaps the largest component of the garbage bag and one that is unfortunately the most wasteful item sitting in there. We're looking at more reuse opportunities. We're looking at reduction opportunities. Basically, it's it's everything firing, Mike, to move us from 45% to 60% to be among the leaders in Ontario. All right, you can check that out at london.ca. Jay, we really appreciate your time today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Look forward to those soccer scores. Look forward to it. <laughs> That's Jay Stanford. We can update you. You ready? Here comes the score. They are in the 17th minute right now, and it is 1-0 England over Croatia. England scored, and I think they'll call it about the sixth minute. So really early on, winner will face France in the World Cup final, and that will be played on Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. The third-place match, I don't know. Do the players even want to play the third-place match in this? For things that have bronze medals, if you talk to anybody who plays in a bronze medal game or bronze medal match, and whether they win it or lose it, they'll tell you, you know, if they win it, they'll say, I'm really glad we won that game, that match. I I didn't really want to play it. I was disappointed after losing the semifinal. I'm really glad we won it. And if you talk to somebody who lost it, they'll say, I wish we could do that again. Because I, I really wish we'd come home with something instead of nothing. In this case, I don't know. It's it's one of those traditional things. And the winner will play France. You think about France. France has only ever been in two World Cup finals. They won one in 1998. And I was in France. And then they lost in 2006 to Italy on penalty kicks. And Italian soccer fans, you can live that one up forever. That was the Zinedine-Zidane headbutt match. So... That's it, though. You would think, well, France has been there all so many times, twice, won it once. Croatia's never been there. England has been there once and won it, but that was back in 1966 when they actually went to extra time, tied 2-2 with Germany, and came away with a 4-2 victory. So World Cup continues to play out. Hey, something else that happened today, Bank of Canada raised interest rates by a quarter percent or a quarter point. What does that mean for mortgages? We always like to do a little check because if there's a great big thing that you borrow money on, it's a house. And to know whether or not this means, do I, do I check up on my mortgage? Do I lock in if it's variable? We'll deal with that next. Michael Mollis will join us, the mortgage teacher. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. World Cup semifinal, Canadian Milos Raonic 
in the quarterfinals at Wimbledon right now against John Isner. Isner won the second set in a tiebreak. So both sets have gone to a tiebreak so far. Rafael Nadal is still down 2-1 to Juan Martin Del Potro. So if you're following along in the sports world today, there is a lot to follow along. We have Blue Jays baseball for you tonight. It will start at 7 o'clock with the pregame show. Jays in Atlanta Again, finishing up a two-game series, and then they go to Boston for four, and then it's the All-Star break, and there isn't a whole lot of baseball next week. Just that home run derby that they need to give a rest to, at least for a year. How can I miss you if you won't go away? That's what the home run derby is right now. We can't miss the idea and the fact that we've had an increase in interest rates. Bank of Canada, up to 1.5%. Up a quarter point. And we always like to look at this from a mortgage angle. For anybody who does have a mortgage, the mortgage teacher joins us right now, Michael Mullis, on the rise of the interest rate. Michael, how are things? Things are fantastic. It's uh, this great weather. I mean, everybody's in a good mood and great time. Well, let's then look at the Bank of Canada rate, which was raised today by a quarter point, sits at 1.5%, and we always scratch our heads to figure out how that translates to one of the biggest purchases people make in their lives, if not the biggest purchase, unless you're buying a plane at some point, your house, your mortgage. What does this mean? Absolutely. Well, what this means is a lot of people get mixed up because we get a lot of calls at this time saying rates are going up. Just have it known there's two kinds of mortgages. You have your five-year fixed, and what that means, and, and typically, I'm mean, using five-year because that's the most common term. Uh, so five-year fixed, of course, your rate doesn't change. So if you have a locked-in mortgage, don't worry. This really, this meeting doesn't affect you. But everyone that has a line of credit, even a visa, we're going to see our overnight lending on vehicles go up. Um, what this means is this affects our variable rate mortgages and our lines of credit mortgages. So a lot of us are in scenarios that, you know, maybe we have a mortgage, but maybe we have a line of credit attached to the house also because maybe we did a renovation or something like that. Now we're going to see an increase in interest paying on all of our floating products. So if you have that variable variable rate mortgage, the line of credit, and and when we know, when, when they sit down and talk about prime, just have it be known, it's not really the banks deciding, it's more the federal government deciding, you know, how how can our Canadians afford this? Uh, you know, what's, what's the unemployment rate like? What's the cost of energy? Basically... How, how does it look like for our Canadians to live and spend? And that's why they determine. So obviously they feel things are going up pretty good. We're all making good money on our homes, uh, as we know here in London. I mean, how many times have we seen houses going up for sale and they're still selling for asking price or a little bit more? And really um, fast. Guess, really fast. I mean, it, it puts stress on us because we get people coming into the mortgage office saying, we need to go in without financing. Well, that's risky for a lot of people. So, I got to admit that market is cooling down. Uh, the weather is not, but that market is cooling down a little bit. So we're starting to see smart purchases. The numbers are still up here in the city of London for sure. The action is still hot. I think uh, the last two weeks, with you know the last week of school and vacation, you definitely see the phone calls slow down a little bit because I mean that's the last thing on even my mind personally too. So it was all vacation and family for a little bit. But <laughs> overall, this is the only way it's going to affect. It's going to move on a dollar amount, to be honest with you, on about a $250,000 mortgage or $300,000 mortgage, we're probably going to see an increase of about maybe $32 a month, 32 to $38 a month. Gotcha. Is what? what you would see on an average spend. 
Michael Mullis with us from The Mortgage Teacher. You can visit mortgageteacher.com. So you had mentioned the fixed rate, the variable rate. The variable rate becomes affected by this. Is that the time to do a little checkup on the mortgage if you are on a, a variable rate mortgage? It is. It's worth talking. The good news is, I mean, we've been expecting this increase. If it wasn't the last time they met, it was this one. And in all honesty, this move, a lot of economists are predicting that just might stabilize and we might sit still for a little while. So the only thing that we sit here and and say at mortgage teacher, that if you're riding that bottom line, so for example, if you take the variable rate mortgage and then you're making that payment as is, you're not really taking advantage of the variable rate. The people that we put in, we want to see them pay more. So, for example, pay as if you're taking a five-year fixed rate. Because if you took a five-year fixed rate, your payment would be higher. So what we tell people, you know, set your tone there to, to pay that, but then take the variable. So at least while your variable rate was low, you went and paid off, you know, an additional $12,000 off your mortgage. So that's, that's kind of how we predict, and that's how the people that should take the variable are the ones that are taking advantage of the low rate and paying more. The ones that are kind of riding this line, yes, maybe that's when you should call in and make sure, you know, you can afford if there are more increases in the next three or four years. So kind of give yourself a little bit of a stress test, and that's exactly what we do here at the office. Fixed rate is tied to the bond market. Is there any way to gauge what might happen there, or is it time will tell? It's always unpredictable. That's a a good one, Uh, Mike. I was looking at this morning and yesterday, and in all honesty, uh, all I do, if you guys want to look it up, look Google search, you know, Bank of Canada five-year bond. And, uh, you know, investing.com is the first one that comes up in the Google search. And you can click on that graph and play around with the different times. And as you can see, really the five-year fixed rates, the bonds have kind of been settling down since about May 15th. So we've had a little bit of an increase the last week. We'll see what the market does today because, yeah, yesterday we started to see some increases. So we had some decreases, some increases. So right now, I think the five-year fix is going to pretty much stay where it is. And uh, if the market starts to stabilize, we might even see a little bit of a decrease in the fixed rate. With that being said, they usually only move about 0.10. So, I mean, to, to a Londoner's mortgage, that could be as easy as 13 to $15 a month. So nothing big, no big changes in the fix, but let's wait and see what this move does today. Michael, thanks so much for the update. No problem, Mike, and we'll see you around. Sounds good. Michael Wallace, the mortgage teacher. So some insight into what this does to mortgages. Remember, there are two types, and this only affects the variable type. Depends what the bond market does as far as fixed rates go. And how do you get young people into a house? Save up. Save. I I have no idea. I have no idea. Are we at the point where we're going to start bequeathing our houses? I suppose you do it anyway in a will, but, you know, do you have that... Somehow, basement apartment set up for your parents, and then they sell their house and move into yours. I don't know how they don't do that in places like Vancouver and Toronto, where the prices are what they are. Three-bedroom bungalow, $1.3 million. I'm in. Where do I sign up? How do I get a $750,000 mortgage? How do I get a $1.25 million mortgage? Wild. Crazy. I don't get it. We have a lot still to come on the show. We've got news up next. And then we are going to talk with a Londoner who is going to be driving 170 miles an hour through the streets of downtown Toronto this coming weekend. And it isn't a stunt. 
and he's not doing it as an experiment to see whether he can get away or whether the gardener can free up long enough to actually get to 170. Usually it's hard to get to 70 on the gardener. Usually it's hard to get to seven on the gardener. So we will meet him because he's doing something pretty wild, and uh, we'll recap his racing career. We'll keep tabs on what's happening in the soccer world, in the tennis world, and the rest of our worlds, too. Jacqueline LaBelle is next with news. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. England and Croatia continuing in their World Cup semifinal. Here comes the score. England 1, Croatia nil. They are currently in the 36th minute. So still a lot of soccer to come. England scored early. We have all boys safe from the cave in Thailand, all of the soccer players who are between the ages of 10 and 14. Now, they have discovered lung infections in a couple of the boys. That's not uncommon. You spend time in a cave. That's why if you live in a cave, you've got to come outside for some fresh air. But there are... They're not the cleanest places. You might like to think they are. It's a cave. Come on. Who goes in a cave? Bats, other critters, things you don't come into contact with very often. So FIFA had actually said, hey, if you can get the boys out of the cave, we'll bring them to the final. They're a soccer team. Yeah, uh, no, they're not going to do that. They will do something at a later date. So who knows? Maybe they wind up at the Champions League final someday. But one of the things that has come out of this, and and they've really finally started to discuss it, it's not a joke, but there are always those things that you say, well, that needs to be asked or that needs to be discussed, but yes, too soon, too soon. Well, now it's not too soon. What were they doing in there? What was the coach thinking? And the coach actually thought about becoming a monk. And is somebody who, people who know him, they're saying, hey, he'll never get over this. That he put these boys in this type of danger. You had one boy who was trying to overcome a fear of the dark. You have all kinds of stories coming out. But the coaches, or the coach goes by the name of Eck. And he's somebody who was orphaned. At a very young age, there was a disease that swept through his town, and his sibling died, then his parents died. He was orphaned, and so he has basically lived his life trying to help other people, and a lot of the boys on this soccer team have come from families that don't have very much. I mean, this is Thailand. You've got another boy who was called instrumental in helping to keep the kids alive, And he was someone who as well was not orphaned necessarily, but he was dropped off at a church by his parents and not as a baby in a basket. This is a little later on. And they basically said, hey, we can't look after him. Could you please look after him for us? And is one of those kids that works as hard as he can at absolutely everything from school to sports. And Eck, the coach, was just trying to give these guys a life experience. And unfortunately, this is the way it went. But they do credit him, and the boys so far have been very good, and everybody else has been very good, by saying, hey, he kept us calm. You're stuck in a cave for over a week. And he was someone who kind of helped us hold it together. So some interesting stories coming up. But as far as why were they there, they just they just were. The signs were there. Don't go past this point. 
rains, rainy season, potential floods. They went in. They left their bikes. They left their backpacks. They went in. And fortunately, everybody has been rescued. And hopefully, all of the lung infections that have been diagnosed can be treated. And again, who knows? Maybe the Women's World Cup next year. Maybe they get to go to that. Maybe the Champions League final. Who knows? But FIFA will set them up at some point. We are going to talk about another event that is on the way. If you like racing and you like racing through the streets of Toronto, we're going to speak to somebody in just about a minute that will tell us what it's like because he's done it before and he's about to do it again. And even though he was born in Brampton, he's a Londoner and he'll join us. Next up, we'll talk with Pete Shepard III on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up this weekend in Toronto is the Honda Toronto Indy, but that's not the only part of the weekend. You have the NASCAR Pinty's Grand Prix, which is going to take place on Saturday and has some London blood in it. Well, originally from Brampton, but when you move to London and you hang out here, you are a Londoner. And Pete Shepard III definitely is, and he is going to be racing in that NASCAR Pinty's Grand Prix on Saturday, flying through that road course in downtown Toronto. The weather looks very good, and we're lucky enough to have Pete with us right now. Pete, how are things? Things are going great. Thanks a lot, Mike. How are you doing? <laughs> this has to be a, a nice big week for you. Yeah, this is going to be a huge weekend for us, and obviously VRX Simulators. I can't thank Robert Sanders enough for the opportunity. They have a great program that they're, they're launching with uh, all their sim, sim racing and their eSports, and uh, they're helping drivers like me get ready for, for big races like this at the Toronto Indy. Yeah, it is, it's a changing landscape, it seems, but it seems very good for drivers to come from absolutely anywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these, these types of races really open the door to guys who are, are really good or are, you know, fine-tuned road course racers and it's just an overall, uh, it's, a, it's a great experience for anybody, uh, and it's pretty rare. You don't get a, an, a chance often to run the street courses, especially downtown Toronto. So one of the few times you can go down Lakeshore at 170 plus and uh, not get a ticket. <laughs> All right. Well, let's kind of dig into how things have gone. If we look back in time, it's always neat to see somebody achieve a huge height as a kid and then wonder... Where did that guy go? We go back to 1998. You were the Grand National Go-Kart Champion. You were 11 years old. And where are they now? You are still in racing. How do you think you've stuck in racing this whole time? Well, lots of support from uh, from great people. And National Exhaust has always been a big supporter myself. Uh, family as well. Uh, I was born into it. And uh, going back to 1998, I remember racing against guys like James Hinchcliffe when they were new in karting and Robert Wickens and stuff. So, We've all kind of spread it this way, but uh, it's just a, a great support system that's allowed me to, to continue pursuing my racing dreams and take me to a lot of places across North America and, uh, you know, full circle back to the Toronto Indy again, which is uh, an exciting experience for me. You've raced on Delaware Speedway's track. Like you say, you've raced all over North America. You've raced under, at that time, the Cascar Umbrella, the Pinty Series. This is the NASCAR Pinty Series. It's that NASCAR Umbrella. You've raced under it before, but what does it mean to have that? It's such a great support structure. Again, like like I said, just... Uh, that NASCAR name means a lot for the promotional side of the business. Uh, they make sure that they, they do everything right. There's a set schedule. You follow it. Um, they just have everything so organized, and it just makes it so much easier for us to, to not only sell the product and, and do a great job driving the cars, but it attracts just the, the NASCAR fan base. So it's, it's meant a lot to the sport, especially to the, the, you know, the NASCAR Pinty Series. 
We are talking with Pete Shepard III, who will be racing as part of the Honda Toronto Indy Weekend. Be racing on Saturday and through the streets of downtown Toronto. A lot of the tracks that you are on are those ones that keep going to the left. All of a sudden, this is a road course. Tell us the difference as a driver between an oval course or an oval track and what you're going to be doing this weekend through those streets of Toronto. Yeah, I mean, any form of racing requires a lot of concentration, but I think what separates the road racing from the ovals is just the amount of preparation and the precision that it takes. Um, you know, I've had to study every corner. I think it's 11 corners and uh, about 13 shift points on this, this track. So there's a lot more preparation that goes in prior. I've reached out to my friend Cole Perns, uh, crew chief of Martin Truex Jr., for some setup advice, and obviously J.R. Fitzpatrick, who hasn't been doing it for a while, but a great road racer himself. So, uh, Lots of phone calls, lots of texting, uh, just things back and forth to, uh, to, to get over-prepared for this race. Uh, that's, that's what it takes to, to be successful in the, the street courses and road horse races. So the car setup has to be different from what it would be on an oval track? <laughs> oh, big time, yeah. I think, uh, well, an oval, you're, you're 60% geared up just for the left-hand corners, your, your weight and, and, and just the wedge in the car and stuff. So they're set up completely different. Uh, for the Toronto Indy, there's, there's more rights than left, so we actually geared up to turn a little bit better right than left, which is uh, uncommon. <laughs> it's, it's weird when you're driving the car and it's not always trying to pull left on you. It's, a, it's almost dead straight. So uh, setup's completely different going into this weekend versus uh, any oval track we'd ever run. Now, do you do much practicing somewhere else? Because, see, that's, that's got to be the toughest part of a, a road course. You could go out to an oval track and you could do testing. You could do practice. It's not like you can just go out on some back roads and say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take it up to about 170. And that's where I'm at a huge advantage just because of VRX simulators, uh, pro- providing with a simulator to, to get all this track time. Even though you're not physically you know, on the tracks, it's, it's, it's within a quarter of an inch detail, all the tracks that you run in the road races. So... The simulator that VRX has provided us uh, is such a big, a big help for getting pre- prepared for this. And I, you know, like I said, I'd probably be almost lost if it wasn't for them because of the, the difficulty to get track time on these road races. You must be able to walk into any kind of arcade type setting and crush a racing video game. <laughs> There's a lot of guys who, uh, who are familiar with computers who are still beating up on me a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I'm newer to this thing. Uh, you know, so as I, as I get going, I think I'm going to be a, a tougher challenge for these guys. They won't be, uh, they won't have their way with me much, much longer. That's for sure. Pete Shepard, the third, a guy who lives in London, Ontario, and is now part of the Honda Toronto Indy this weekend. You've raced this course before, but it's been about 13 years. What do you remember from the first experience? It's actually changed a little bit. Um, first experience was more or less, uh, my mentality was get out there, get laps, finish the race. And that's always a, a great philosophy, but we want to be competitive. Uh, we want to, we want to go out there and, and have a chance to win. And I can remember this time going out versus the last time that I've done it, just the amount of time that I've put in in preparation and just the comfort level. You know, Jacob's racing, they have great racing equipment. We were able to, to test at Toronto Motorsports Park and uh, we were really happy with our lap times there. And I just feel like the overall experience going in now versus when I was a lot younger, uh, just the preparation, the, the, the mental readiness is there. And I feel like, you know, taking some of the go-kart experience and some of the really, really early road racing experience that I had, I think that's going to help me now this time uh, actually contend for a win uh, this weekend. Pete, let's talk Ultimate Dream for a second because we've seen DJ Kennington with Gaunt Brothers Racing going all over the place in NASCAR. He was back in Florida this past weekend. Your dream, what is it? Yeah, that's, that's always been my dream as well. Um, you know, DJ's done very well for himself, and he's an exceptional race car driver. I think he's one that every race car driver in the country wants to aspire to be like. Uh, 
Um, I, I, yeah, I still want to get down there. That's, that's every race car driver's, uh, driver's goal. And uh, I had a taste of it back in the early 2000s with Roush Family Racing, running some truck races and, you know, got a sniff, but it's never enough, you know. Um, coming back here, we're, we're regrouping. We want to obviously have success everywhere we go and uh, just enjoy the process along the way is the most important thing. You've got to have a lot of fun, and if you're having fun, that's when success follows. What does it take to do it? Is it dollars anymore, or does it come down more to, to skill and opportunity? It's a combination of everything for sure. I mean, you've got to be capable of doing it. You've got to have the skill and, and the passion, the drive, the understanding, obviously, but um, the financial support is really what, what drives you there. Uh, it puts you in the right equipment, gives you the, the, you know, the right tools to do the job um, the way it needs to be done. So, uh, I think, like, like I said, the support of uh, VRX simulators and, uh, and National Exhaust and, all, and everybody else on board, it's, uh, this is what gives me the opportunity to, to be in A-class equipment and really uh, give me the opportunity to win these races. Well, good luck this weekend. Enjoy the entire experience. Pete, thanks for the time. Thank you so much, Mike. You have a great day. You too. Pete Shepard III, 170 miles an hour. It's not a speed you want to be going when there's a turn ahead, but that's kind of the idea for him this weekend, and we'll see where the career goes. I love that because back in 2011, he was the Canadian go-kart champion, and you look at that and you think, I wonder where that guy is now. Oprah Winfrey spends, what, an entire half day on her channel looking at where are they now and just goes after old guests on her shows and says, yeah, I wonder what happened to that person who was having that problem with that thing. And then they go, wow, look at this. That's that's exactly where they are right now. So that's where Pete is right now. And he will be racing in the NASCAR Pinty's Grand Prix on Saturday as part of the Honda Toronto Indy. We'll take our final break and be back to close out the show next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If you go to the 980 CFPL Twitter feed right now, you've got to take a look at this. Uh, we've got a really interesting picture of a tractor trailer, and it's on its side, and you'll want to avoid exactly where this happens to be because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's causing some problems right now. Listeners reporting a tractor trailer has rolled over on its side in the southbound lanes of Veterans Memorial Parkway. And we've got a picture of that actually happening. And that's just south of Highway 401 and the off-ramps. And traffic is going very slowly in both directions. We'll have more as we have news coming up with Jacqueline LaBelle at 3 o'clock. But tractor trailer over on its side in the southbound lanes of Veterans Memorial Parkway that is south of the 401 on and off ramps, and traffic is slow in both directions. How's Milos Raonic doing at Wimbledon? He won't have to face Roger Federer if he can get through John Isner. The question is, can he get through John Isner? They went to a tie break in the first two sets. Raonic won one, Isner won one, and Isner broke Raonic in the third set and now leads 2-1 in that match. But Roger Federer, a guy who won over 30 sets in a row at Wimbledon, out. He was beaten by Kevin Anderson from South Africa today in a fifth set that went all the way to 13-11. 
and sports news just keeps on coming in. The Western Mustang men's hockey team has announced that Londoners Ethan Sapula and William Lahed, along with Kyle Langdon, Kenny Heater, Alex DiCarlo, and David Ovsjanikov, who played last year with the London Nationals, are set to join their roster this fall in men's hockey. So they continue to recruit former OHLers and some pretty fantastic hockey players. Coming up on the show tomorrow, something interesting. And here's some homework for you tonight if you haven't done this. If you are looking for something to do, find the movie Minority Report. Not so much the TV show, but find the movie Minority Report. Because if you've seen Minority Report, you'll remember this scene. John Anderson. John Anderson. You can use a Guinness right about now. That's when Tom Cruise's character, John Anderton, is walking through the equivalent of a mall. And because you have the stores recognizing his retinas, they are advertising to him. And Minority Report is not a new movie. It goes way back. Back when Tom Cruise was not the Tom Cruise he is now. So you have him walking through a mall and they're recognizing him and they're advertising right on to him. They've got little speakers. Hey, John Anderton, you want a Guinness? Hey, John Anderton, you could use a vacation. Here's a place that you could go. We are getting closer to that moment. I mean, you can say we're there online right now. You've got ads tailored to you like you wouldn't believe. And your digital double, unless you do stuff to mess it up, just keeps getting more and more refined. But we're going to look at a couple of things. One, we'll have to look at Facebook being fined. Does that even matter? How much would it take for Facebook to pay off a fine that is less than a million dollars. Facebook's been fined for the data breach in the Cambridge Analytica story that came around, what, in March? So that's happened. So we'll touch on that. But here's what I'm most interested in. A couple of days ago, and I've just tweeted the link to this, a couple of days ago, you had a story in the New York Times, and it talked about facial recognition software and facial recognition ability and how Facebook had put in a patent on this, where the pictures that you're putting on Facebook are helping Facebook to recognize you and others. And that may be used for something in the future. We're getting a little bit closer to Minority Report. Not retina stuff, facial recognition stuff. Thanks to Andrew Graham. Thanks to Devin Peacock for their help on the show today. That's coming up tomorrow on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.